Navigating the Datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Hey, and welcome to the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley, and I'm here with my guest, Warner Chavez. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of the DBA career, or what we like to call the data platform consultant. Warner, how are you? Good. How are you, Chris? Happy to be here on our debut episode for Datascape. Thanks for joining me. Warner, just so the audience can get to know you a little bit, why don't you give me the two-minute overview of who you are, what you do, and, and your experience, that sort of thing? Absolutely. So I've been working with Microsoft Data Platform products for about 10 years now. I used to work out of HP in Costa Rica in HP's big outsourcing ITO branch. You know, that they do corporate outsourcing for the, the big Pfizer's and Procter & Gamble's of the world. And for the last eight years, I've been at Pythian, which is a consulting company and managed services company in Ottawa, Ontario. And I'm also honored to be a Microsoft Data Platform MVP. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So a lot of experience as a DBA, more or less. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I, I usually tell people, you know, I've pretty much done all the layers that you can do as far as service delivery for a database services. I started as a ground level DBA and worked my way up in HP to a level one to level three before I came to Pythian. I started again as a ground level DBA at Pythian back then, and I've been managing DBA teams and I've also now fallen into a consulting role inside Pythian. So I have been privileged enough to see really the transformation that our profession has had in the last 10 to 11 years. Great. And I think that's a great starting point. Let's talk about what we'll call the pre-cloud DBA. Now, I realize that not every company is fully embracing the cloud. They probably have, in many cases, a large enterprise has everything still on-prem. But just for the sake of this discussion, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but let's talk about what a DBA did before the impact of cloud. How did you spend a lot of your day-to-day -day time? Well, there's certainly different things that have led to what we are today, right? And I think the biggest revolution before cloud, it was obviously virtualization, right? So before the mainstreaming of virtualization, we spent a lot of time, for example, on capacity planning machines that had to survive our estimates for three or four years down the road, right? That was that was the game back in maybe like 10 years ago. Everybody would have to be really, really accurate about your estimates because you were going to buy a physical blade or a physical server, and if you were off, it meant that somebody had to go and buy another bare metal thing, right? So virtualization really changed that, and obviously the cloud now takes it to an exponentially different level. But a lot of it was that, right? Really making really careful decisions because we didn't have a lot of flexibility, right? Another thing was that the scripting wasn't as strong as it is today. The kind of declarative tools that we have to deploy environments, right? Things like Ansible, Terraform, the cloud ones like CloudFormation, Azure Resource Manager, all these things didn't really exist. So everything was 100% manual. Everybody had like, you know, their... 10, 20 different run books of how to manually do all these different things, right? So those are, I think, probably the biggest things was, you know, the DBAs had to deal with the lack of flexibility in our infrastructure and then with the lack of proper tools and the scripting that we had back then. I mean, we all did some sort of scripting, VBScript, especially on the Windows side of the house, 
just the T-SQL scripting that we could do back then, but it's definitely not up to the level and maturity that we have today, right? Right, right. And I can remember as a DBA, like my day-to-day -day was, you know, the first thing that I did was come in to the office, check my email, which would be full of alerts, go over to the problematic servers, you know, go through the error logs, looking for things that I needed to action or be concerned about. You know, then I would like move on to checking disk space and resolving a bunch of job failures and things. And, and I would then move on to project work, which would often be performance tuning or getting ready to provision new servers and, and stuff. And what I found is that I couldn't manage that many servers, right? As one person, you know, I could manage, I don't know, maybe 10 production servers, maybe give or take five, depending on what was going on and, and how busy it was. What was your day-to-day -day experience like? Well, we did have, for example, I think it is a, a matter of scale. It's a problem of a matter of scale and how you approach it. As an in-house DBA, many people are, you know, unless you work on a really big environment with a lot of people, sometimes you're not really forced to automate. Back at HP, it was actually, and we're talking about the year 2008, 2007, so maybe 10, 9 years ago, actually it was pretty the pretty early days of having these problems. Now problems that are becoming widespread for everybody, right, the data sprawl. HP was starting to see it because obviously corporations, large corporations, were the first ones that were suffering it, right? So we had some of the early tooling that we see more commonly widespread today, right? HP had this OpenView product, that's their known uh, ticketing product, and it came with an agent. So we were already doing a little bit of automated, automated management by deploying these management agents all over the SQL servers that we would monitor. And, you know, it was integrated with the ticketing system, so we could get some of the alerts. A lot of it was very reactive. It wasn't as proactive as I probably would have liked it to be. But it would still had the challenge, which is a challenge that I really believe it's still up to today. And it's a challenge that we see with clients, even deploying IDEA or Redgate, is that there's a lot of noise that you have to filter to really get to, you know, the valuable stuff that really requires human intervention. And once you've spent time trying to filter through all that noise, you don't have a lot of time to, you know, innovate, to create new things, to help developers create new things and, and drive value, right? Not just keep things running. Just unfortunately what a lot of DBAs just spend doing. And it's one of the main things that is going to get snuffed out by all the automation that is being built in the cloud. Right, right. And just before we move on to the, the transformation, could you talk a little bit about the types of issues that you, like what types of issues, categories of issues did you spend a lot of your time on as a DBA? Yeah, so I think every DBA would probably, you know, identify themselves with a lot of mechanical things that we have to deal with day to day. Just even things that should be solved by now, like running out of backup space or making sure that backups are happening properly or making sure that they restore properly because it's really easy to back up. But that doesn't mean that you can restore, right? Alerts on performance of servers, which sometimes are really hard to just, you know, like I said, look through the noise. So it's, it's you know, not a big deal if there's a spike in CPU. But how do you know, though, when one of them is a big deal, when one is not a big deal? Jobs, for example, you know, people that set up a job and then something, there's a dependency that fails and then you have to go in and do the reverse engineer and then chase down the developer that change the dependency, these kinds of things. And obviously you have to juggle that 
part of just keeping everything going smoothly with project type of work because I'm sure everybody at the same time had to juggle with I'm also being asked to you know deploy a cluster somewhere or I'm being asked to provide a plan for high availability or disaster recovery somewhere or I'm being asked to you know set up these two or three SQL servers with the latest version because they need them for a new project right so a lot of mechanical repetitive stuff some of it we did automate some of them it was kind of hard to automate for some of the job failures because they can fail on many many different things and juggling that with you know proactive things proactive projects that nobody else could do or that they weren't properly automated so we didn't have just like a one-click solution to deploy a SQL cluster right 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 okay so I think that describes my my experience fairly well as well and then you know a couple of years ago the public cloud started to become mainstream and pretty good and AWS and EC2 instance as well as RDS instances came on the scene Azure Microsoft saw a gap here and you know declared war and thought that they would make a competing product and then now Google is in there IBM has a product and Oracle has a product so there's a number of public cloud products out there now which offer or claim to offer you know commodity priced space performance compute as well as a whole other you know database as a service type platforms so the world is changing for the dbas in your opinion what is changing about the dba from that you just described to the dba who is immersed in public cloud yeah i think uh, first of all i think what dbas today need to face and just and face directly is that all these providers want to automate our you know normal DBA day-to-day or what we thought was our normal DBA day-to-day activities they want to automate it out of existence and that's just how it is right Google Microsoft AWS they're all moving towards you know serverless architectures and that includes database servers right it doesn't just include the logic uh, on application servers, it most definitely includes database services because what they want is for you to simply plug in a database engine as part of your entire service architecture and not have to worry about managing it, right? Eventually they want infrastructure as a service to die and for people to just work on orchestrating and developing these type of loosely coupled serverless solutions. And, And I mean, and why wouldn't clients want that anyway, right? You're talking about something like Azure Functions or or Lambda architecture on AWS where you pay by milliseconds in a CPU, right? It's mm-hmm. it's completely different paradigm. We don't have to, for example, do a, a capacity analysis on our app servers because Lambda can actually react and just increase the power of the calls that we're doing to our app containers and charges just by the actual amount of CPU we're using, right? Even if you were to deploy a virtual machine today in EC2, you have to have it up and running. Now, you might not even be using all of its CPU capacity, but you have to pay for it because you're reserving it, right? But here we're moving to a, a model where we're literally only paying for what we are consuming. And DBAs need to realize that is where the industry is going to go. And these operational tasks, they're going to disappear. And we all need to future-proof ourselves while we can to you know, evolve into a new role that goes beyond what we can do operationally for our companies. I mean, think about 
something that happened maybe five five years ago or so. There were people that built entire careers on deploying exchange on premises. Mm -hmm. right. 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 There were actually people whose job was to be an email admin in a company. That job does not exist anymore. The last project those people did was to migrate their company to either Gmail or to Office 365 or I don't know if Amazon provides some email service, but they probably do. So my point is those people either are out of a job today or they had to reinvent themselves. And that's what I think the sooner the DBAs realize that we're on the same boat, the better it is for everybody. So based on what you've said, do you think that the DBA career will cease to exist? Or do you think it will change? Or what are your thoughts around that? I think the DBA career, it will not cease to exist, at least not in you know the medium-term future, because I still see a lot of DBA-ish tasks that live inside databases and service. Right? For example, at least in the current offerings, when we talk about something like RDS, or we talk about something like Azure SQL Database, they don't tune themselves, at least not yet, right? And I, I still see that really as a database administrator role to really understand the underlying gears and dials that you can still use to really get the best performance, right? The engines themselves are really complex nowadays to expect the developer to know that much about SQL Server in depth, I think is still kind of hard. So I still think that DBAs will be necessary at least in, you know, let's talk about the five, five to ten years down the road where, you know, auto-tuning, it might not be all there yet. We're talking about security is a very hot topic, which is still hard to automate in terms of how to control the process. Because security, a lot of it is not really a technological problem. It's a lot of process problem. So I think that's where human intervention is still really valuable. Monitoring is another problem that is still not completely automated because there's a lot of subtleties. The more complex applications get and the more mission critical they are, the more important it is to really find the subtle behavior patterns that are tells for issues, right, for emergencies. Like, you know, they talk, we talk about the, the paradox of automation. The more automated a product is, then the more important it's going to be the day it breaks to have a human that actually understands it, right? So I think all these things that are still not fully automated, they're really complex problems, they're not self-healing, all of those things are still going to require a DBA, but it's definitely a different DBA than the DBA we had you know, five years ago and the DBA that we have in many places still today. I would agree. I don't think any you know, executive should turn around and terminate all of their DBA employees. I think that DBAs... And, and, and we know a lot of people are still on-prem and have no plans to go into the cloud as well, right? So you definitely don't want to fire your DBA if you're still deploying bare metal SQL servers, or even if you're still deploying virtualized and infrastructure as a service. If you think that just by going to AWS or Azure and you're just lifting and shifting your VMs to the cloud, if you think that that's going to save you money, you definitely need to you know, explore a lot more about the cloud and learn a lot more about it if you think that just doing that is going to save you money and you're going to be able to get rid of your staff, right? That's the right. first thing I would give advice to anybody thinking of terminating their DBA today. Well, that's a whole podcast right there and something that I think we yeah. should discuss is the costs. But yeah, I, I agree. And, and your DBAs tend to be the ones that understand all of the, the systems, the interactions, the issues. You know, they also, something you didn't mention, coaching the developers on best ways to access things and stuff like that. So I'd agree. So what do you, the other thing that I'm hearing is through automation, probably we could manage 
far more servers like per dba the dba to server ratio is probably such much higher in that they can probably manage more instances it is much higher and, and it's not just to manage more instances i think we're also seeing even oracle for example they moved to a multi-tenant model right on the mm -hmm. on the last release we're, we're seeing people want to get more density into their their compute container, whatever that container is, it could be a virtual machine, could be an actual bare metal server, right? So, in, and in SQL Server, we've always had multi-tenancy, so it's not a big deal. I, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows a server somewhere where people have tried to pack 40, 50, 100. We have clients that have several thousand databases in one database server, right? Mm -hmm. So, there's definitely a push to do more with what we have. There's definitely a push towards more and more IT inside companies, which leads to more and more infrastructure, including databases, being deployed. So it is it is tricky. The DBAs still, even doing operational tasks, need to scale better, pretty much. And the only way we can scale is yeah by being smart with our time and automating as much as we can, and leaving really the things that are hard to automate for our manual hands-on keyboard time during the day. Right, right. So let's go into that a little bit. What tasks do you think are, you know, either going to go away or that we're going to spend a heck of a lot less time on? What comes to mind? Yeah. So as, as we move into database as a service, for example, high availability is the first one that comes in mind because when we talk about on-premises, setting up high availability and disaster recovery can be a quite a project, right? You need, let's talk about doing it 100% on-premises. So first thing, I need two locations where I'm paying for space, right? That in itself can mean paperwork, quite a bit of paperwork, and there's procurement that has to be involved with processing all those bills. We suddenly have to pay for space. We have to pay for utilities. That's just literally to have two spaces to put machines on, right? Then we have to actually set up the machines. We have to set up the proper high availability technology that we're going to use. If SQL Server wasn't what we're talking about, then, you know, we're, is it log shipping? Is it availability groups? But if you move to something like RDS, in RDS right now, a multi-availability zone deployment is a two-click affair, right? In Azure SQL Database, to do geo-replication is you do like a click in the portal, you select the region that you want to go to, you click start geo-replication, and that's pretty much it, right? So in that case, the DBA really doesn't play a role there in much in designing the solution. It barely plays a role in setting it up, right? I think the real role, and again, this is how the role is changing. In that type of world, our role is not really to set it up, it's not really to to design it, it's already been designed by Amazon and Microsoft, and setting it up is just three clicks. The role there is to work with the developers and make sure that when we actually do need that HA or DR site, that everything is orchestrated properly so that it will actually work in the and in the most transparent way possible, right? So the role there is changed again, right? We move, and if you see most of these, it's the same thing. We're moving away from the infrastructure problem and closer to the application, right? And it's the same problem with the same thing with backups. Backups are resolved in the cloud. An RDS or an Azure SQL database, both of them, you don't have to worry about the backups. Right. At most, and what you're going to have to be worried about is about setting up an automated process that maybe does the refreshes for your dev and test environments. So again, we're moving away from the infrastructure and more towards serving you know, the application and the developers for them to do their job better. 
Right. And it's funny, you talking through that brings back a couple of memories of like setting up Windows clustering, you know, a long time ago with SQL Server. And, you know, you go through you, you go through all this waiting, building the cluster. It fails the Windows validation tests. You can't you mech around with it. You can't get it working and you start over on another node, maybe the other node. And you may even go through that a couple of times and always on availability groups. While it's not an old technology, certainly seems old compared to three clicks and it's geo-replicated. When you think about what you have to do from scratch, it's, it's actually pretty mind-blowing, right? Even if you were to, even if you automate everything, you still need somebody to carve out the storage for you. You still obviously need to have somebody that has proper access to either create the cluster or to pre-stage the objects on the Active Directory. You right. still need the DBA. Even if it's fully automated, you still need to, like, you know, mess around with your script to think about the topology that you're using and setting it up and everything. So definitely takes a lot more time. Even even though there are efficiencies, it's way more efficient today than it was a few years ago, but it's still comparatively slower than how it happens today in database as a service. And like I said, I keep in mind, I believe most of the industry eventually will be on database as a service because why not, right? Some people will still deploy on-prem, of course. Some people will still deploy on infrastructure as a service, depending on needs. But Amazon, Google, Microsoft, these are all big companies, and they all want to keep removing blockers of adoption for these core services, right? So right. I believe the future is definitely moving in that direction, and they're not going to stop investing on it, that's for sure. Right, right. And I, uh, the other kind of thing that I think you alluded to but didn't quite call out is I spent a, just an enormous amount of time dealing with space, getting it, maximizing it, you know, deleting stuff or trying to wedging things into it. Yeah, it was crazy. Or, or dealing with the dealing with the life cycle of of the data or of the files, even right. If you're just storing, every company has some network share somewhere where it's probably used as some sort of bucket for everybody. And it's full of trash, and you don't even know what these files are from, you know, the year 2003. But they're still there, and you don't want to delete them because, you know, God forbid somebody actually needs them one day, right? This is right. where, again, if you move this to something like S3 or you move it to Azure Blob Storage, you could set up automated lifecycle policies that move it into the coldest storage that they can offer. And, I mean, you can sit there. Somebody could sit here and say, well, I can do it already on my SAM. But then it's like, yeah, but is your SAM going to last forever? Right? You're going to have to refresh that sand one day. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to put more money into it. You're going to have to, again, spend time to set it all up. You're going to have to spend rent space or keep paying for your own space. You're going to have to keep paying for the utilities for that sand. And on, you know, unless you're bigger than Amazon, Microsoft, or Google, you probably don't get storage as cheap as they can pay for it. Right? Obviously, it's an economy of scale. That's why they can they, they buy thousands of drives every day, right? That's why they can sell them to us in such a, you know, cost-efficient manner, right? So definitely, I mean, a storage is probably, like, the best example. And it is actually, I believe S3 was the first service that AWS released to the public because it's just such an obvious thing. Right. To, you know, like, scaling the cloud is the number one thing you can sell for cheaper is storage, right? Right, right. Good point. So with all these things that are changing, you know, I agree with you that there are still a lot of enterprise-sized businesses where they haven't moved a lot of production to the cloud. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm a regular DBA at Acme Insurance 
you know, my employer hasn't moved much to the cloud, but I want to, you know, prepare for the future. How do I get the cloud experience? What, what should I be learning or working on? And how do I do that, do you think? Well, I think right now, if you really have no, not a lot of experience with any of the cloud providers, I think the easiest thing is just to pick one. I would pick one of the big two. Right, right now, it's definitely Amazon is the, the main player. Microsoft's hot on their heels, trying to compete crazy, investing tons of money on it. Google is it's a distant third, but I mean, Google has, you know, biggest pockets in the world to get into this game. Right. So, but I, I would just due to the maturity of the first two, I would definitely just advise somebody go with AWS, go with Azure. Either one to get started is fine because you know the main concepts of how they work usually they translate really easily from one to the other. If you're really deploying like a mission critical system, then that's when you want to really study the subtle differences between the both of them. Mm-hmm. But when you're just getting started, really you could get started with either one of them. If you're a DBA, I would say. Definitely, first thing to just kick off the list is to get familiar with the things that affect database deployments and infrastructure as a service because the vast majority of companies are not going to migrate directly to database as a service. Most of them will get their feet wet first with infrastructure, and then once they feel comfortable with that, then they'll probably migrate or try to migrate if they can to database as a service. Right? So definitely get first, let's say you're a SQL Server DBA, get comfortable first with what are the types of storage that are used in AWS or in Azure to deploy a database workload, you know? Like for example, IWS has general purpose SSDs or it has provision die-ups. So what's the use case? When should I deploy one to the other? How do they behave differently, right? They have very different behaviors. If you're deploying in Azure, well, there's regular blob storage and there's also premium storage. And premium storage is also sub-tiered in three different tiers. So how, how do I pick a tier from the other? What can I do if I need to pull drives, for example. So really get familiar first with how infrastructure as a service works and how your database engine of expertise works. And after that, definitely start looking into database as a service because that's the next natural step, right? And this is for the operational piece of the house, right? Not even talking about the other, even more further down future-proofing your DBA career type of things. That you, There's tons more that you could still be learning, right? And so let's go into that a little bit. What So once you have familiarized yourself, maybe you're using some online resources and hanging out in some Yammer groups or some user groups and, and playing around, what are some of the other credible, interesting cloud technologies that you think that the, the DBA should know about? So the first one, the first one, and this is, has been my advice to people that give me this question in the last, probably the last year or so, is to look into the data warehouse as a service offerings. So everybody now has a data warehouse as a service offering. AWS has Redshift, of course, and they're coming out now also with the new service Athena that they have in public preview. Google BigQuery is gaining a lot of traction because of the way that the service was architected and how it's built. And obviously Microsoft has Azure SQL Data Warehouse, which also is very attractive especially for small, medium businesses that have never even thought they could afford data warehousing. Very attractive because you can pause compute. So if you're not even querying your data warehouse, it doesn't even have to be running, and you can spin it up or down in a matter of seconds. So they all have, all the providers have some sort of data warehouse as a service. And, you know, we can sit here and really debate how much is different in the world now because of the cloud, but if there's one thing that is true, 
is that the cloud has put big data and data warehousing in the hands of everybody, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about uh, projects that would not even get off the ground because of the capital expense that you would have to think of maybe five or six years ago, right? Are we going to buy some Oracle engineered systems? Are we going to buy a big, beefy SQL Server SMP? Are we going to go even with something like Teradata, right? Absolutely, completely proprietary, and you're locked into a very, very expensive product just to get a data warehouse project going. Now we're talking about something where I can have an entry-level, let's say, Azure SQL Data Warehouse and run it for less than 10K a year, right? So it's now in the wheelhouse of many, many medium businesses that would never have considered they could do data warehousing. Now you can, and, and you can do it with fantastic products like these three that I just mentioned, right? Redshift, BigQuery, Azure SQL Data Warehouse. So I think that's probably the biggest, the most easiest next step for most DBAs is that many of us grew with just dealing with operational systems and some of us did have the fortune of getting experience with data warehousing systems but really nowadays I think it's going to be a proliferation of more and more data warehousing systems as it just has become the barrier of entry for using these systems has become dramatically lower right and it's just really a matter of the know-how and the executive willingness of a company to actually execute on having their own data warehouse and finally getting some really nice analytics, some really nice insights, some really nice visualizations into their operations. Right? So I think that's really one of the biggest explosions of adoption of technology related to databases that we're going to be seeing in the next couple of years for sure. Right. Right. And actually, I, I remember in a, a conversation that you and I had a couple of years ago that this actually is putting these analytic capabilities into small businesses, businesses that would have never even, you know, like five employee businesses that never would have dreamed about it. My favorite example, which was a dentist's office where, you know, clients, yeah, a compulsive canceling clients and, you know, tracking them, which they do anyway. And then having some enablement, a little bit of a power BI or the flavor, whatever it was, and alerting the admin staff that, hey, you know, Chris cancels his employee. He, he almost always cancels his appointment. And so a uh, notification to have them call me earlier as a, you know, bad canceling person so that they can at least free up the space if I'm going to cancel. So, and that's very basic business intelligence, right? Like people sometimes really think we have to take off. We have to take off in, you know, the space shuttle, right? It has to be like a massive solution right off the get-go. But if we think about it, there's so many things that can be optimized in any type of business just right. with a little bit of business intelligence, right? And in this case, you don't even need a data warehouse because how big is it going to be that amount of data? It's not going to be that, that big, right? You could go straight into like an Excel file to something like Tableau Cloud or to something like Power BI or to the new Amazon also, I believe they have a service now called like Quick Insights or something like this, which is the new competitor, and get this type of insights. But what's the missing piece there? The missing piece there is the integration, right? Mm -hmm. That's again where a piece where DBAs with our know-how of ETL, of data languages, of data transformation, we have the profile to insert ourselves into that gap of data integration. Right? We need to integrate. Right. All of these businesses are going to need people that know how to integrate them into the usage of these tools, right? And that's a, that's a big market opportunity for us DBAs as well. Right. So it sounds like you don't feel like we should be 
threatened and that we should embrace the cloud. Is that correct? I think that you should not feel threatened as long as you are always open to learning. If you were really happy with your 100% operational, 100% infrastructure related job, I think you should feel threatened if that's what you wanted for the rest of your life you're going to have to reinvent yourself. If that's you, then yes, you need to wake up today and start thinking how you're going to plan your career going forward. But if somebody is already listening to a podcast about new data trends and advancements in IT, they're probably already interested enough that you in particular, the listener, should not feel threatened. right? If you already did the extra step of listening to this recording, then you're probably, you know, at top 20% of people in the world that are interested about this field and you should just do the research of the different things that you know many different things that data professionals are still needed for and pick one pick one that you think you feel passionate about and start exploring it right we mentioned many ones just during this previous our previous conversation today we mentioned automation we mentioned business intelligence, we mentioned data integration. We haven't even mentioned, obviously, the biggest boom new topic related to your professionals in the world, which is data scientists. So there's many ways that we can specialize, and we're still going to have a job in at least, I believe, the next 10 to 20 years. Who knows after that? Maybe AI will actually, you know, <laughs> if general AI will actually become a thing, and then everybody's going to be out of a job. But, you know, barring that, I think that we are safe as long as we continue to learn and pick pick something to specialize in that is not operational that is not related to infrastructure and go with that commit to it and you know reinvent ourselves basically yeah okay you did mention automation a few times again with the, the you know getting started in cloud how should i get started how could i get started in automation and where should i where should i start yeah, so with automation, I mean, there's different tools that you can use about it. I think, first of all, you have to have a solid, or hopefully you have a solid background in just the basic programming tools and constructs, right? So if you haven't picked up a programming book ever, that's probably the best place to start. You can pick anything to get started with. You could learn some Java, some C Sharp. You could learn some JavaScript, you know, anything nowadays. Python is really, really popular nowadays as well. And after that, look into the specific platform that you want to work on, right? So Ansible, like I mentioned, is very popular on the Linux world. On Microsoft, they've done tons of investments on PowerShell and desire state configuration. So that's something that you could definitely look into. And in the cloud, if you just want to learn about these type of templatized declarative frameworks, just pick any of the cloud provider, right? You could learn a cloud formation on AWS. You could learn... Azure Resource Manager templates on, on Azure, and they really both, I mean, they work, they have subtle differences, but the core idea of, you know, declaring your infrastructure through a template of code is still the same, and you're going to get the, the mindset and the concepts with either one that you go for. Right, right, agreed. And, you know, I think when it comes to actually learning this, you know, if you're comfortable doing something and say the GUI, stop doing that. Look up the PowerShell command. You're going to be slower, but look up the PowerShell command or whatever it is that you use and do that thing there. Or at the very least, you know, how many years ago did we get the script 
to window option, at least for SQL Server DBAs, right? If you're one of those that are addicted to the Management Studio GUI, next time that you're going to do everything through the GUI, just go all the way to the end and pick the option to script it instead, and then go through the script and see what the tool is actually suggesting that you do when you run it to code, right? Very interesting, actually. Sometimes I do that myself, and I save the script generated by Management Studio just so that I can reuse it further down the line, right? So that's, again, baby step. Right, so that's a, that's actually a good idea just to get started. Yeah, and the other part that I was thinking about is if my employer doesn't have a cloud-first mantra, you know, look for the look for opportunities to use the cloud without asking. I mean, use common sense. Don't put demographic data in a public cloud that's wide open. You you need to know what your employer thinks about the data standards and the type of data you have. But my thinking is look for opportunities to leverage database as a service or infrastructure as a service for non-production opportunities. And I mean, this is where we're talking about also people's personal commitment to their own career, right? So if you're just waiting for this opportunity to come up as a natural thing in your employment, you might be waiting for a very long time. I believe, like I said, if somebody's listening to this recording, they must have an ambition to be a top performer and they're probably going to want to do this on their own regardless if they don't get the opportunity with their employer. You can sign up for free trials for both AWS and Azure. You can find public data sets online, so you don't even have to come up with your own set of data. I mean, if we're talking about SQL Server, we've had the AventureWorks databases, the AventureWorks Data Warehouse database for a very long time. Microsoft now provides the new Worldwide Importers sample database. If you just want to play around with some of this stuff in the cloud, you don't really need to even come up with your own data set, right? You can pick any of these sample databases and get started. And don't wait, like I said, don't wait for the opportunity to naturally present itself in your employer. Because also what you want is that the day that that opportunity presents itself, if your boss says, well, we're thinking of using Azure, imagine the reaction if you say, oh, that's great, I'm ready, I'm already ready, right? You don't even have to worry about that I have to ramp up because I've been playing with it all these months. Let's let's do it. Let's get started, right? Yeah. You're going to go far if that's your mindset and if that's your approach. You're going to go a lot farther than if you just wait and wait until the opportunity presents itself. And that is such a good point that I, I really just want to underline is that nobody is responsible for your career except you. And, you know, you have to you have to drive it. Nobody's going to come and create it for you. Yeah, At least absolutely. that's my experience. No, it is true. And we picked a field where it's relentless, right? IT has always been relentless, and it's just got even worse with the cloud. Every right. single month, there is something new. Just a couple of weeks ago, Azure SQL Database, just to put an example, a couple of weeks ago, Azure SQL Database, they doubled the read capacity on basic and standard tiers and they double the write and read capacity on all premium tiers. So suddenly if you had all these databases that you had already carefully, really carefully picked the database tier that they should be on, you have to rethink it because they just gave you a lot more I.O. power than you used to have before. So there's probably some efficiencies that now suddenly you can get out of the databases that you have deployed in Azure SQL database. And this is just one example, right? You see, this is just one example in Azure and with one service. Multiply by the clouds, multiply by the amount of services they each have. And we can see that every month it's just changing. And we picked a field where we don't have the luxury 
to just say I'm happy with what I know today and this is just going to take me all the way to the day that I retire. If you know, we just that's not the career we picked and and if that's what you had in mind, you picked the wrong field to work in, unfortunately. That is such a good point, Warner. We're pretty much drawing to the end of our interview. Before I start the lightning round, what is the one message or a few messages that you would like whoever is listening to this to go away with? Yeah, so I think the number one message is for A, if you are a database manager or an IT management or director type of person, is to, you know, if you can invest on your DBAs and get them familiar with these type of, of new deployment options with infrastructure as a service, with database as a service, because that's the way the industry is going. And if you if you don't want to, eventually down the line, probably your competitors are going to become more efficient than you and you're going to be moved in that direction as well, right? So that's for that, for, you know, if you're in a, that type of management or director position. If you are in the position of being a DBA, I think we should we stick with what we just mentioned a few minutes ago is don't wait. Don't wait and get started. And if you think it's kind of a bit overwhelming, you don't know where to start, just Start with infrastructure as a service. Just start with learning that. Pick one cloud, any of them, and just start with learning that. And then look into the other data-related services and take it from there. There's so many good resources nowadays online. You don't need to spend a lot of money to learn on your own, right? So definitely don't be surprised by how our role is changing. Don't want to be in a position where suddenly you find yourself lagging behind and all these new technologies coming out and you stop really providing a lot of value for your company. You know, be proactive. Don't sit on it and take action as soon as possible and really start learning because it's not going to get any slower. That's all I'm going to say, right? The rate of change is not going to get slower. It's only going to be getting faster. That's a great message to end on. So what we're going to do next is start with what I like to call the, the lightning round, and then we'll end with talking about where can people find you if they'd like to know more and follow you. So with the lightning round, what I'd like you to do is as quickly as you can answer each question. It's not a race, but there are meant to be brief questions. First thing that comes to mind. So what project that you've worked on the last little while that you're most proud of? Yeah, so I think the, probably the highlight of my career is I had the pleasure of working on-site and personally with the developers of, I believe, is the second highest selling video game of all time at this point. And I don't know if I can actually name it, but it involves shooting people and stealing their cars. <laughs> Excellent. What book has made the most impact or podcast has made the biggest impact on your career? Oh, in general? Okay, so there's this really good book. It's called Mastery by a gentleman called George Leonard. He's actually a tennis coach. But the book is in general about the mindset and the behaviors that drive the top achievers of any particular particular field. That's what it's called mastery. And it basically boils down to it doesn't matter what you want to be the best at. Just pick one thing and drive to master it. And that's it. Oh, that sounds quite interesting. I'll have to check that one out myself. Standing or sitting desk? I have a hybrid desk that I can press some tabs and move it up or move it down. That's why would you pick one or the other when you can have both? <laughs> it's all about choice. Mac or PC? Oh, PC all the way. You can't be a PC gamer on a Mac. Otherwise, it would be embarrassing. <laughs> iPhone or Android? I have an iPhone, but that's okay because it's just a phone. 
<laughs> and what is the best tool or app that you use on a daily basis? Best tool or app? Oh, there's this thing called You Need a Budget, and it's where I keep all my expenses. And this thing has changed my life. So if, if you want to track your finances really well, that's the app that you want. Like, seriously, it's so good. That's like what I literally, probably one of the few apps that I use every single day. It doesn't sound like much fun, but it sure sounds like <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. But it's about usefulness. And unfortunately, yeah, I use it every single day. So, Warner, it's been really great talking to you today. Where can people find you if they're interested? Yeah, so on Twitter, you can find me at, at Warchav, W-A-R-C-H-A-V, or and my personal blog is SQL Turbo, S-Q-L-T-U-R-B-O.com, and my professional blog, you can find it at Pythian, P-Y-T-H-I-A-N.com. A lot of good technical content in both of those blogs as well. Great, and, and I've read all of those. They're very interesting. Well, that's all the time we have today, folks. Did you like what you heard today? You can find us at datascapepodcast.com. Please send me some feedback. Did you like what Warner had to say? What didn't I ask Warner that you'd like to know? What else would you like to know about us? And if you like the podcast, please tell a friend about us and where to find us or leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other users and interested parties find us. As always, take care and have a great day. Navigating the Datascape.